The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. So we are going to be uh, opening our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, we've got plenty of Bibles in the back. Uh, we're big on the Bible. <laughs> Those are for you to take as well. Um, I think uh, 1 Corinthians is around page 900 or so um, in the Bibles in the back. Um, if you're not familiar with the Bible... Uh, basically back cover in about 100 pages, and that's where we're going to be. Uh, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. We have been preaching through this book um, for, uh, we did actually most of last year in it, and we took a break for the summer and then in the, the fall, but the book, book of 1 Corinthians is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul to the book, uh, to the church in Corinth, and uh, they were, like all of us, maybe struggling in what it means to be a Christian, Right? They were uh, maybe what you might call bad Christians. <laughs> and so that's why we call this whole series on 1 Corinthians good news for bad Christians, because that describes us as well. We struggle on what it means to follow Jesus and what does it mean to be his people. Um, and so that is, we, were, we are picking up now in chapter 12. And in chapter 12, uh, we are getting into all the stuff related to what does it mean to be spiritual? Um, what does it mean to have a spiritual life. And so in this chapter, as we go through the next couple months, we are going to talk about spiritual gifts and what does it mean to be um, filled with the Spirit and all that stuff. But today we are just in the first three verses of chapter 12 because we want to ask this question, what does it mean to be spiritual? It's the main category they are wrestling with. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read our first three verses for us. We are going to pray, and then we'll begin to dig in. So... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by, to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed, and no one can, ever, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. So let's pray and ask for God's help. Father, as we, as we look at this this morning and we consider what does it mean to be spiritual and to say Jesus is Lord from our hearts, I pray that you would help us as we work through this passage together, that we would, in fact, be filled by your Spirit to love and submit to Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. We, uh, this category that's kind of becoming very... Um, popular today, uh, maybe this might describe you or once described you, is this category of being spiritual but not religious. Um, this is increasingly in terms of demographics and statistics of uh, our population in America. Spiritual but not religious is an increasing amount of people, especially within the younger generations. Just by the way, if you are under 35 years old, you are a millennial. So that is increasingly popular among millennials. Uh, it is a category that describes uh, about 8% of the population, uh, somewhere between 8 and 15% of the American population. Um, oh, can we take that down yet? So the, uh, the idea of being spiritual but not religious has a lot of uh, research behind it. The Barna Group, um, they did a bunch of work on what does it mean to be spiritual but not religious. Uh, they, they concluded with this comment about what does it mean to be spiritual and not religious, and then I'll kind of break it down a little bit. It may be that left-leaning spiritual seekers 
feel that they are without a spiritual home in the church, a place they likely view as hostile to their political attitudes, particularly around hot-button issues and often divisive issues like abortion and same-sex marriage. Spirituality means I have a connection to the world around me that is beyond just simply the material. But religion often represents authority, hypocrisy, demeaning attitudes, bigotry. For the spiritual, not religious, the Barnard group actually found, we can throw that slide up now, these three things that kind of they all had in common of what they thought, why they were spiritual but not religious. They were spiritual but not religious because they felt that they couldn't really tag down what does God mean, right? What is, what is God actually, the word God, who is that, what does that refer to? What does that mean to be spiritual? Well, God's not really clear on what it means. They don't like religious authority, right? We live in Manchester, New Hampshire, right? We have the whole history of the Catholic Church here that has understandably undermined a lot of people's under, uh, appreciation um, for religious authority, right? A lot of uh, religious hypocrisy within that. And then the third thing is all religions, basically, they would say, uh, teach the same thing. Maybe this describes how you feel. And I'm glad you're here because we're going to kind of delve into this because uh, that, that is an understandable way of, under, of viewing the world. But it is a, what the category would be spiritual but not religious, trying to figure this out on our own terms. Right? You were wondering, like, okay, maybe this is what it describes folks who are, who are spiritual but not religious. But what does that look like in practice? It's interesting. The Barnard Group actually found that the, one of the things that they found is that the religion, quote their article, religions point outside oneself to a higher power for wisdom and guidance, while, the spiritual, by, while a spirituality divorced from religion looks within. And so spiritual but not religious often describes how can I find on my own terms a meaningful life-giving existence. And so they often don't, they don't do anything like pray or read religious texts, but they are often uh, doing things like yoga, yoga, meditation, silence, solitude. Um, I have family that they, they go and do a uh, one, like one week a year where they do like a uh, silent retreat. Have you ever done that? Like, or heard about, like, you go and, like, you don't talk to anybody. <laughs> like, I mean, for me, like, that's like, I don't know if I could do that. Like, <laughs> go and, like, not say a word. I can't talk to anybody. Like, do, like, a, a, a silent, silent retreat for a whole week. Like, I, I really like talking to people. And they often, and one of the most combining things is that they are often in nature. And so they're hiking and all that sort of thing. Just as a comment on this, the, I don't know if you read the, uh, the newspaper Mother Jones, but their kind of comment on this, we can throw this up, they were just commenting on how spiritual and not religious is increasingly becoming a dynamic within our world. It, it was this chart that they, can we throw that chart up? Uh, are we, there we go. This guy, percentage of adults who identify as uh, Christian is increasingly less within our, 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 our context and the unaffiliated almost makes up about 40% of our population, which would be within the spiritual but not religious. I know you guys are like, what does all this matter? But I think it creates this dynamic where we, are, we have a category for spirituality, but we do not, as a culture, trust religion to give us guidance on what that means. And so Mother Jones comments, it looks as if the U.S. is finally going to follow the European lead where we see the death of religion. Um, now, how does that lead us into 1 Corinthians? 1 Corinthians has within its background this dynamic of a spirituality that was going on in the church that was being used as a power move 
to create a better sense of self-worth, right? I have had it, they would say, within the context of the time, if you've had a spiritual experience with your pagan deities or whatever spirituality you have, that makes you a better person, right? It becomes something where you then can come into any religious context and say, I'm spiritual, and in this religious context, that makes me better, right? So their spirituality, spiritual but not religious, it had a power move dynamic in it. And so for us, as we think through, what does it mean to be spiritual? We need to recognize that the power dynamics of what does it mean to be spiritual are within our framework of how we question the world around us. Are we tracking? This is critical for how we kind of work through this passage because if we just kind of drop into this passage, we could say, well, um, being spiritual means believing in the Bible, period, move on. But as we work through this passage, I think God is going to help us to be able to understand that being spiritual for Jesus, being spiritual in terms of the Bible, is a profoundly transformative effect, a change within our lives that centers and is governed by the person of Jesus Christ himself. It's not governed by a religious institution. It's not governed by a church. It's not governed by me. It's not governed by you. Spirituality in this passage and, with, and for what it means to follow and be with Jesus is a profoundly changing effect by the person of the Holy Spirit to know and love Jesus and to submit to him. So as we, as we work through this passage, as we work through what does it mean to be being spiritual, here's the main point of the passage. Truly spiritual people submit to Jesus Christ. Truly spiritual people, that's the main point of this whole, there's three verses. Truly spiritual people submit to Jesus Christ. That's where we're going to, that's where we're going to land. And so we're going to ask some questions along the way. And we're going to just basically verse one, verse two, verse three, verse one, we're going to ask, what is being spiritual? What does that even mean? According to the Bible, right? If the Bible is God's word for what it means to be spiritual, what does that mean? We're going to see that in verse one, verse two, we're going to ask why be spiritual? Like, why is that important for us? Why, why would we even want to be spiritual according to the Bible? And then verse three, we're going to look at who is spiritual, just going to ask these three questions along the way of seeing this main point of the passage, truly spiritual people submit to Jesus Christ. So with that said, we're going to jump right into verse one. Why, what is being spiritual? What does that mean? What is being spiritual? So we have verse one. Let's, let's read that together. Now con concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Here's the thing. That, that phrase there, the beginning of it, uh, now concerning spiritual gifts, there's actually something there that we need to kind of begin to just adjust slightly because the spiritual gifts that's in view there, actually the, the original language, the Greek, actually could be better translated or more helpfully translated in this context to say now about the things that come from the spirit. Because actually, because we're going to read through 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, and there's spiritual gifts is used within those chapters as well. But the, the word within the rest of the chapter is charismata, right? It's, wondering where the word charismatic comes from, it comes from the Greek word charismata. That's what's used in the rest of the passage. In this passage right here, the word is pneumatoma, right? Pneumatoma is a gift of the spirit, things coming from the spirit. So the emphasis is on the person of the Holy Spirit rather than the gifts, right? So that's where we're just going to kind of tweak this verse a little bit just to maybe more helpfully say, now concerning the things that come from the spirit, and that, that helps us ask the question, what does it mean to be spiritual? Because being spiritual, right, the first part of that word is spirit. What does that mean? Like in terms of the, in terms of the whole Bible's overview of, of reality and who God is and who we are, what does it mean? 
Who, who is a spirit, and what does that mean for our lives? So that's, that's what we're going to do here. We're going we're gonna to buckle in. You guys, we're just going to take our, our mental buckles. We're going to buckle in, and we're going to kind of do a, a quick, like, uh, six-flag ride through the Bible, right? We're just going to kind of pick up and just kind of, all right, here we go, right through all these, these passages. This is what's called a biblical theology. We're going to pick up a category called the Holy Spirit, and we're just going to follow it right through the whole Bible. If you want any of these notes, my manuscript is available for a $50 donation at the end of the service. No, I'm kidding. I'll gladly give it to you. It's not a big deal. All right, so what's going on here? Beginning of the Bible, we begin in the first two verses of the Bible with the Holy Spirit himself. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And here we have the Holy Spirit right at the beginning of the Bible, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So you see, the very beginning of the Bible, the Holy Spirit is God's, the person of the, Holy, of the Trinity, creating, renewing, sustaining God, God's will within the created universe. So creating, sustaining. And then here, between Genesis and Numbers, you're kind of like, that's a big jump. Okay, like, if we had like two hours, which would bore all of us to death, we could go verse by verse, right? But here's where, what happens between Genesis, right? Adam and Eve, they, uh, get, they listen to the, the serpent. They create their own laws. They reject God's laws. They say, we could do this better. They unelect God from Eden. That means God says, okay, well, you're going to be cursed under your own laws. Out you go. What that means is that they're no longer in the intimate presence of God. By, by sinning, by submitting to their own thoughts about how the world should run rather than God's thoughts, they are, they are outside of the intimate presence of God. That's the critical part of that. God continues to pursue them. His spirit continues to pursue them. You have them eventually rise, become a whole nation. They get captivated in Egypt. God comes in and he leads them out. And if you know the story of the Exodus, you have the fire by night and the cloud by day, or cloud by day. That's the Holy Spirit leading them, right? After all that, they've been gone through the Red Sea. Then you have them becoming a nation, continuing like us to be uh, bad Christians. Numbers eleven twenty-five. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to Moses, who was the head honcho, and, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put on the 70 elders, and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, we'll stay there just for a second. Notice a few things here. There's a little bit of the spirit that was on Moses and a little bit of the spirit that was given to the people. And what did they do? They began to talk about how great God is. That's what they were prophesying is. God's intimate presence. God's revelation of who he is. This is what God's like. He's good and gracious and kind and good to you. And it was, it was limited, but it was still given to a few people. Actually, within that, those verses and a few chapters later, it talks about, I wish that the whole nation would pre- prophesy like this, but they didn't because there had not been an internal change. There was something that was missing that had not been, been fixed with that sin part of what was going on. So let's go to the next slide here. So see, here's my little note just to give you guys like, <laughs> I thought it was great. I tried to figure out how to put a neon sign there, but I couldn't figure out how to put it. So they all screw up. God's like, okay, I'm going to come and renew you by fixing this inner sin issue. And what's going to happen is that the person who does that will also be filled with the Holy Spirit that is my intimate presence and power, and that will change you. So Isaiah 11, 1 through 2, we, did, we preached through this with Advent. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, that's Jesus, and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. 
And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You, rest, you recognize how the spirit shall rest upon him, just like as in Genesis, where it was the spirit rested upon the waters. There's a brooding, there's a creative. You think about like a hen resting on her eggs. There's something going on there that's not easy to see, but there's creative activity happening, Right? The spirit resting on Jesus. And what is that? It, it's renewed wisdom and knowledge of who God is. It's renewed life in, G, in, in God himself. It's a renewed presence of God's power among his people. So, okay, here we go. All right, next, next uh, dip within the ride, Ezekiel, right? So you got Isaiah. He's like a really like erudite guy. Ezekiel is kind of like the mean thrashing guy um, in terms of the prophets. Like he would probably be like a power metal band, you know? Sorry, that's a random Bible joke. Um, and I will give you, he, he's talking about what God's going to do when Jesus comes. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, when the spirit comes, it's not there yet for them in the Old Testament. Somewhat there, not fully there. The intimate presence of God among them would help them to enjoy God's good designs, right? That's how we can just frame that, right? Spirit comes, gives them a new mind to say yes to what God desires in this world. So next slide. And then here we go. This is the big one. And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel. That's people. That's the people of God. That's us. And that I am the Lord your God and that there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame, right? Did you notice that when God comes and dwells among his people, sin and shame are immediately ejected. They don't belong where God dwells. So here, right now. And here's what he's going to here's what happens. And I will come and pass and it will come to pass afterward when he comes to dwell among his people that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, your young men shall see visions even on the males and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. So, remember when we were talking about how with Moses like there was a little bit of the spirit that was kind of given out? You notice how the image has changed now? Pouring out, like, like what was it, that bucket challenge? What was that a few years ago? You know, the ice bucket challenge? That dangerous, don't do that. Um, I don't know, go and jump in the river with Adam and those guys, you know? <laughs> but, uh, sorry, if you don't know what I'm talking about, there's some people who have a mental condition in our church where they like to go and jump in the frozen Merrimack River in the middle of the winter. And I'm not saying that they're a cult or anything like that, but they are among us, and they enjoy doing this. So, <laughs> um, so. This pouring out of the Spirit, right? This power of the Spirit. It's the, the way of describing it is to say it is poured out, not kind of doled out. Poured out. So you see, the imagery has changed. So now here we come. Again, we're going to pick up in uh, the book of Luke. Suddenly here we are in the New Testament. And the angel answered this to Mary. So Mary is kind of like, okay, I'm a virgin. How am I going to have this baby that you're talking about? What's going to happen with all that? What are the mechanics here? Angel answered her, the Holy Spirit shall come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So, what's going on there? Again, remember that brooding, that creative, that renewal activity of the Spirit in the book of Genesis where he creates out of nothing the will of God? That's what's happening with Jesus. But notice who's doing it. It's the Holy Spirit. He is doing a renewing. This is, this is absolutely radically earth-shattering new in terms of the whole scope of the Bible, doing, creating the person of Jesus in the womb of Mary. And then when Jesus is born, grows up, then Luke, we actually just read this. I didn't plan this at all in our scripture readings, or I did, you know, I guess if I was super smart. Um, 
Luke, Luke 3, this is where Jesus comes to get baptized. And when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, right? The Greek word there is, like, the heavens were, like, ripped apart. Like, think about, like, Hulk Hogan. Ripped apart. The, whole, the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and the voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Right, again, just to kind of pick up all your Bible imagery, right? What happens with Eden? Eden comes out of the water and is where God intimately dwells with his people. What happens in Exodus? The people go through the water and they, got, they intimately dwell with their God. And then here in Jesus, he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit comes, intimately dwells with his people. So, I'm going to pick up here. Next slide. We have uh, later in the book of Luke, we have where Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, returned just from getting baptized, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days and was tempted by the devil and ate nothing but those day, up nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. No kidding. Um, the thing to be noticed here is that the Holy Spirit, Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And the, the, the words there are, he was driven, he was compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out God's will of renewal and redemption. And we have Luke 9, 51. Those days drew near. The Holy Spirit's not mentioned here. Go back. Holy Spirit's not mentioned here. But you see that if he's driven by the Holy Spirit to go into the wilderness, Jesus' work in terms of who he is and what he's doing is driven by the Holy Spirit. So Luke 9, 51. The days drew near for him to be taken up, and he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He set his face to go towards the cross where he was going to die for our sins, to renew us in the power of the Holy Spirit. After Jesus is raised from the dead, here we have the end of book, uh, beginning of chapter of Acts. Can we go? Nope, next one, beginning of book of Acts. And while staying with them, right, so after Jesus raised from the dead, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you'd heard from me the Jordan, for John, the Bap- John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then just, so when they come together and they ask the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power from the Holy Spirit, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So let's pause right there. What happens here, you're seeing, is that the Holy Spirit fills and empowers Jesus in a unique way so that he is driven to follow the will of God, to die for our sins. And then at the very act in which we kind of get into the picture, so to speak, right, the book of Acts, what happens? We must have the Holy Spirit to know, follow, and obey God's will. And here's the critical thing. There's going to be a random Bible note. I promise you it's really important. The beginning of the book of Luke Where's Jesus? He's out at the ends of the earth, right? He actually has to go up to Egypt. He comes in to Judea, where he does a lot of his ministry, and he's driven to Jerusalem by the Holy Spirit. Then the book of Acts, they're filled with the Holy Spirit to do what? Go from Jerusalem to Judea to the ends of the earth to spread God's fame and intimate presence with his people, right? If you do not have the Holy Spirit, You cannot see, know, and enjoy Jesus or see, know, and enjoy his mission. The Holy Spirit is the very person of the Trinity that fills us with God's love, presence, and will so that we can know him and follow him. 
Everybody tracking with me after we've done this big ride through the whole Bible, right? Some of you are kind of like, whatever, where's the coffee, right? But I'm telling you, this is critical to understanding what it means to follow and enjoy God and, and knowing him. Being spiritual means enjoying the intimate presence of God and being empowered by his spirit for mission in Jesus. And in terms of, back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning the things that are from the spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So the reason I've done this whole overview is I don't want you to be uninformed. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are not just talking about some kind of feel-good, like, oh, I, I, I felt good. But the Holy Spirit is the desire of the entirety of, of all of human history so that we are returned into intimate fellowship, knowing God himself, his presence among us, and it is through Jesus so that all the things that would cloud our brain with like, I'm not worthy, I don't deserve this, I don't want this, why is God doing this? All those things that would get in the way of us knowing God, he has dealt with in Jesus so that now we can freely enjoy his presence among us and everything that the Holy Spirit does in us. To know him and enjoy him. So, let me just connect us to some of our real day experiences. If you have ever wondered, does God know me? Does he want to be near me? Does he want me with him? If you've had any single thought that directs your minds towards Jesus, to be here, as you're singing songs about him, as you're hearing his word preached, any way in which your mind is pointed towards Jesus, that is the Holy Spirit drawing your eyes to know and enjoy God himself. Right? You don't do that apart, like, on your own, right? We are just like Adam and Eve. We're kind of like, God, let me rewrite this. God's Law 2.0, Jacob's better version. That's how we live. The Holy Spirit is the one who takes our minds and hearts and says, ah, but Jesus. He is the one that any time that you felt any sense of, like, I think God actually likes me. I think God enjoys who he's making me to be in Jesus. I think God actually cares about me and hears me. Or the other side of it is, God, I know who you are, but why is all this stuff happening? God, I know who you are, but why is this not happening in my life? God, I know who you are, but I can't figure out your character with all this junk going on. Both of those are driven by the Holy Spirit because who's the center focus of your thoughts? Jesus. So that should be an encouragement to us because sometimes we're kind of like, I don't know if I'm spiritual or not. Like, I'm just kind of like, I'm just kind of doing my thing. Like, I don't know what this whole life is about. The Holy Spirit is um, maybe the more bashful person of the, of the Trinity. He does not draw attention to himself because he is sitting there always directing our attention towards Jesus. And so if you're wondering, does God know me and care about me? The fact that you're questioning and wondering and yearning and longing that is, in fact, the very presence of God in your life, directing you towards God himself. So, one thing that I would draw your attention to in this is that means that there are no two-stage Christians. And you, what does that mean? Two-stage Christians. If you become a Christian, you follow Jesus, I want him, he's died for my sins, I want to follow and obey him. Sometimes it is said, oh, well, now you need to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you and then give you all this other extra stuff. It's like, no, no, no. If you see and love Jesus, we are all on equal ground before the cross. 
That's going to become critical for as we understand this passage. Remember, Corinthian situation, they had all these power dynamics, right? So now we're going to pick up here verse 2. Okay, sorry, we are, you guys cool with this? We're taking some time kind of working through this, but we're cool, right? I'm just kind of like checking in, we're getting the pulse. All right, okay, verse 2. Right, so verse one was, what is being spiritual? I think we kind of helped, helpfully kind of grabbed, wrangled that one in a little bit. Being spiritual is having the spirit in your life, knowing and loving who Jesus is. Now, why be spiritual? Verse two, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. So... Here we have Paul saying, I don't want you to be uninformed by the things of the Spirit because you know that when you were apart from Jesus, you were led astray by all these crazy things, right? Whatever, whatever it was, right? It's kind of like blanket term, whatever it was, right? Uh, in the Corinthian context, the pagan, it was very common for, um, in the Corinthian church at the time, or Corinthian city at the time, that um, spiritual experiences conferred um, status, right? So like, if you'd been to the Coldplay conference for Zeus, you were then, you were given a badge. <laughs> You're like, I am now Coldplay Zeus concert approved in your face. You know, so you could kind of carry it around a little bit like status symbol. So imagine bringing that to the church. I've been to this conference, right? I've, I've, I've shaken John Piper's hand. <laughs> Right? Like, actually, I had John MacArthur sign my Bible, you know, whatever it is, you know, like, who, whatever your thing is, right? It would be like a status symbol, right? Um, my microphone, okay, we're good, okay. It was, it, it was because they were driven around by these sense of, like, being spiritual meant that I had a status, that I had value, I got my value from whatever my, what Paul would call an idol, told me about myself, Right? Because if you're going to all these idols to try to get your status, you're then going to these idols to figure out who you are, right? You're going to all these different spiritual experiences, trying to get meaning from those things, trying to get status. It is not that different for us today. We often today, in terms of the spiritual milieu of our culture, we, while we are incre increasingly a secular culture and increasingly less religious, we are passionately spiritual people, right? We will, on the one hand, have Richard Dawkins on the table, reading and affirming everything Richard, Richard Dawkins says, and then we will turn to the astrology section and figure out our meaning and purpose in life in the paper, right? It's interesting, the New Yorker actually picked up on this. Uh, the New Yorker did a, an article uh, a few months ago um, about this whole category of astrology in the age of uncertainty, and they said that about 30% of Pew Research uh, work said about 30% of Americans believe in astrology. Maybe you believe in astrology. I'm not here to pick, uh, pick on that or anything like that. I've had people ask me what, what's my sign, and I'm like, I don't know. Awesome? Like, I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. I legitimately don't know what my sign is. But 30% of Americans believe in astrology. There is $2.2 billion spent by Americans on, quote, mystical services. So that's tarot card readings, astrology charts, all that sort of stuff. There was, in fact, a dating app developed with uh, astrology, uh, an astrology dating app that was built in the last few years. And as of 2017, it had had over 6 million downloads in terms of using astrology as a way of connecting with a romantic partner. 
while we are a culture that is increasingly secular, we desperately long for spiritual direction. And we desperately are trying to look for certainty, right? The, the interesting thing about all those dynamics is that um, that astrology uh, began to get more popular around the economic crash of 2008. So we don't just want spiritual direction. We actually, we yearn for spiritual authority. We need somebody to give us a certainty amidst the trials of life. And that is why we turn to all these other things, as Paul would say, wherever or however you were led, driven by all these other spiritual things. And so why should you be spiritual? Why should you be spiritual according to this passage? Because we all want somebody to tell us who we are. Or as Ray would say from Star Wars, I'm trying to figure out my place in all of this. Who are we? What does it mean to be me? Right? That is the primary question of spirituality. I have, no, I have no bearings in this life. And what does it mean to be me in this world? And if what we were saying about the spiritual and not religious is that they turn inward versus outward, I'm not sure that's a great direction to go. Spirituality that leads you towards excessive introspection, trying to figure out who you are from the inside out, that's not very helpful, right? Um, You are a beautifully unique, redeemed person in Jesus, and there are fantastic, marvelous ways in which God has uniquely designed you. But you need the Holy Spirit to understand who you are within the scope of all of this. Here we can throw up this picture of... uh, Carlsbad, anybody you know Carlsbad Cavern out near, is it in New Mexico? Is that where it is? This is inside of Carlsbad Cavern, right? This is like hundreds of feet deep. It's a beautiful sanctuary of God's hidden glories deep within the earth that nobody would see apart from taking some flashlights down there, <laughs> saying like, oh, that's pretty cute, you know? <laughs> but this is that section without the lights on. <laughs> Imagine trying to find your way around the cavern without the lights on. Actually, that's just a black slide. I just made that up. (laughs) But I just guessed. Um, The Holy Spirit comes in and does illuminate who you are and helps you understand your place in all of this and who you are in terms of who God is. But the purpose is not so that you then kind of dig in and kind of go into who you are. It's so that you see who the Holy Spirit is highlighting, right? That's what we we saw in verse 1 about the purpose, that whole biblical theology thing. The Holy Spirit is all about drawing your attention not to go inward, but to look outward to who Jesus is and and seeing him be changed from one degree of glory to the next. That's what 2 Corinthians would say. The Holy Spirit dwelling among you. Seeing Jesus causes you to be changed. It's not look inward and fix everything that you see that's a problem, right? Because God sees things about you that are beautiful and delightful to him that you don't either see or you don't see in the right light. But it's not for you to figure out how to situate all of that. The Spirit comes freely so that you can see yourself in who God says you are in Jesus because here's the thing. Apart from Jesus, our spirituality never confronts us. Right? If you are, verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. What's going on in that passage is, it's just confirmation spirituality. Whatever you want, that's what you get. If your God does not confront you, then you actually are just your own God. 
your God must be able to confront you, to renew you, and to direct you to Jesus, to guide you. But that will mean that you will be confronted at times. But the Spirit is always directing you towards who Jesus is. And there is, in terms of the power plays of spirituality, remember how that was going on? But the helpful thing is what's going on in this verse is the helpful dynamic is that the Holy Spirit is freely distributed among God's people. I want you to know I'm not closer to, I might be, what, six, eight inches taller here. I am no closer to God than you are. This Holy Spirit that we've been talking about coming in, illuminating, giving you direction, guiding you, showing you who you are in Jesus, you have as much free access to him as I do. Just because I get paid to be a pastor... <laughs> Read God's word and pray in broad terms, meet with people, all that stuff. I'm not more spiritual than you are. I'm as much spiritual as you are in Jesus. Which, which means that if you've had questions or concerns or you've been hurt by the church, and God knows I may have said things that have not been helpful for you in your spiritual walk, and I repent of those things. But if you've been hurt by religious authority, that does not mean that you cannot be spiritual in what this is talking about. Because that's kind of built into understanding people are jerks, especially pastors. Jesus is not. The spiritual renewal directs you into a people that are filled with the Spirit so that you see yourself as sinners redeemed at the foot of the cross. I think we want more of that Spirit in our lives. I think we want more of him and maybe less of whatever religiosity that you're concerned about. This is the spiritual direction of 1 Corinthians, to know and enjoy God's presence among us. So let's finish with verse 3. Who is spiritual? What does that mean? We've kind of been hinting at this all along, right? Who is spiritual? What is spirituality? What does it mean to be spiritual? That's verse 1, right? Why be spiritual? Well, because left to our own devices, we're either defining our own spirituality, which means that we get all the goodness of ourselves on our own terms, which won't work out, or we can submit to Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then so, verse 3, who is spiritual? Verse 3, therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in, uh, in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, right? Or the, the, the highfalutin word is anathema. Right? Jesus is cut off. Jesus is of nothing, of no value. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Right? Here is right, the very direction of the Holy Spirit, like we've been saying all along, is to point your eyes and rest your heart in the person of Jesus Christ himself. Right? The purpose of spirituality in terms of the Bible is not becoming your best self now. The purpose of, of Spirituality in the Bible is seeing who Jesus is and in seeing him and loving him, being changed by him. That's why we call ourselves, we're King's Cross Church, loving Jesus together. That loving Jesus together has the Holy Spirit kind of like in the background, I guess the color in the background is saying we love him by the power of the Holy Spirit because according to this verse, it is submission to Jesus, loving him, submitting to him, enjoying him, seeing everything in him. That is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. That's why you can't go and have your Coldplay, Zeus <laughs> spiritual experience and say, oh, who cares about Jesus? And then walk into church on the next day and say, it's all about Jesus, right? It's one or the other. 
There is a division that happens within the spiritual dynamic of your life when you say, Jesus is my all. He is everything for me. He will. He is. He has always changed me in the power of the cross. Spiritual experiences, however high and grand, do not lead us to deny Jesus. They always lead us further up and further into who he is, right? So, we are going to talk about the spiritual gifts, right? We're going to talk about what is the gift of prophecy, what's the gift of tongues, what's the gift of administration. I know some of you are like, ooh, I'm, I'm answering for that gift of administration. Gift of giving, gift of serving, gift of loving, gift of speaking, gift of mercy, all of those things. We're going to talk about the spiritual gifts through the rest of this passage. We want to get into those things, but the purpose of all spiritual living, of all spiritual gifts, of all spiritual life is Jesus Christ as Lord. That's why the whole book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 2, it starts out, I proclaimed nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then it ends with, I declare to you, in chapter 15, these things which are of first importance. The gospel of Jesus Christ died in our place. Right? The bookends of the book of 1 Corinthians are all about Jesus. And the high point, 1 Corinthians 13, is all about his love for us. All of spirituality is seen and lived in the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus. That's the purpose of all the things we're going to talk about. We'll talk about those things. But the purpose that we're saying, with, we're sticking with these three verses, is so that we get this basic reality, that, spiritual, that, that true spirituality is people submitted, is you submitted to Jesus Christ. He is the one that changes you, that renews you, that is your authority, that is your comfort and help. Otherwise, you're just left to the spiritual milieu being tossed to and fro around your desires and what you're trying to figure out. But when you look and find your life and health and joy and existence in Jesus, your spirituality is rooted in somebody that is higher, bigger, broader, more lovely, more true than we could ever hope to find in anything else. True spirituality is submission to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, as we have worked through this passage and seen your goodness to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray right now that we, our hearts will be filled with a delight for who he is and enjoying who Jesus is. Father, I pray that we would have a fresh experience of your presence among us because you are a happy, loving God. And so I pray right now that our hearts and eyes of our souls would see who Jesus is and submit to him and be spiritual people. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.